As New York City prepares to implement congestion pricing in part of Manhattan and the state continues to promote a transition away from fossil fuels, there is more and more attention being paid to the transit needs of people living in the outer boroughs as well as New York City suburbs, which are sometimes considered transit deserts. To discuss this issue as well as other mass transit issues facing the New York City area, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Danny Harris, Executive Director of Transportation Alternatives, which works to promote safe and equitable streets in the Big Apple. So for listeners like me who take about two trips a year into New York City, how big of a discrepancy is there between the public transit options offered in the five boroughs? Are some parts of the city just much easier to get around? Yes. So, you know, we have one of the best public transit systems in the country, I, I would say in the world, and still it leaves so many people behind. I mean, simply go out to places like Southeastern Queens or Um, navigate your way north up into the Bronx, or especially as you get further into any of the outer boroughs, what you find is that many people who are relying on public transit may need to take a bus or two to simply get into the subway. So what we see is that it's a great public transit network. And with tools like congestion pricing, it'll help to expand it and provide better and more accessible solutions uh, to New Yorkers who do need to get around, especially those who are out in transit deserts. And what does, I guess, good transit access look like? Is it simply having a train stop near your house? Is it not having to change trains, say, multiple times? Is it having access to buses? What is the difference between haves and have-nots? Well, you know, people often ask me, what's, you know, what's your vision for the future of New York as it relates to transportation? And and my answer is actually a, a pretty simple and maybe non-sexy one, which is that transportation is like a utility and it just works. And you know, maybe once uh, a year, once a decade, your, your power goes out, but otherwise it just works and it's not something you necessarily have to think about. So you know, imagine if you lived anywhere in the five boroughs or you were even commuting to the five boroughs and your transportation system just worked. You didn't have to worry that your bus was going to be late or your bus might not show up or your bus was going to be stuck in endless traffic or you live in a community where there's no subways or no, no sidewalks, I should say. So right now, the system that we've built is one that inherently not only takes away freedom from people, but also takes money out of their pocketbook. You know, if you are stuck in a transit desert, you know, you're forced to pay at, at minimum $10,000 a year in car-related payments. And the city or wherever you live has withheld options from you. So when we think about what this promised land looks like, it's one where things simply work. And, you know, as a New Yorker, the, one of the greatest gifts of, of the subway is that uh, in a city of 8.8 million, you can always blame the subway for being late to anything. And not only will people believe you, but they'll start to share their other stories of, you know, when they got stuck in the tunnel or when the subway didn't show up on time and, Moving to a uh, you know a better version for all New Yorkers is where it just simply works. Well, we've been focusing our conversation on the travel experience of people who live in New York City specifically, but north of New York City, especially in, say, maybe Rockland and uh, Orange counties, uh, we hear about limited access to convenient transit options to get them into the five boroughs, usually Manhattan how would you describe the landscape now in the lower Hudson Valley? Is it adequate? Are those people just complainers? What do you think? You honor the complaints and the facts that there are not enough options. And I spent a, a good part of my childhood in, in the suburbs of New York. And, you know, I lived in a community where there was no, there were no sidewalks. And the only way to get to New York 
uh, was either to drive or to drive to a train station and then to take the train into New York. So, um, you know, that was my, my dad spent 30 years uh, commuting into New York City. So I very much saw these things firsthand and recognized that in too many of these communities, there are not options. And the reality is, like, if you live in Westchester or Rockland County, they're, they're not going to build a subway and the subway is not going to extend up there. And you're not going to have, uh, you know, a, a, an unfortunately, an immediate suite of transportation options. But these are the communities where you can have you know, better express bus service that, that move people into the city or, you know, better options about uh, not only getting people to the train station, but helping to address the first and last mile challenge. So, you know, the MTA has also been thinking about what it means to put things like uh, bike parking or even, you know, building out uh, mixed use developments or more housing around train stations. So all of these are tools that help to make communities uh, have more assets, both in terms of getting to and from the station, but also, you know, creating better experiences there. The goal shouldn't be that every county or every city in New York looks exactly the same or looks like New York City. But I think the through line is the same, is that if you live in a community where you have no options to get around, but to own a car and spend all of your time and money uh, in traffic, then, you know, you need more options. And there are suites of options that can meet you, whether you live in a more rural community, a more suburban one, or if you're in an urban space like New York City. Well, in response to the limited transit options for some people living in and around New York City, as you mentioned, the only option, if you want to be even close to on time, is to, to drive a car. And in response to this dynamic, local elected officials regularly propose giving these travelers a break on tolls and other fees associated with driving. And, and you mentioned the annual cost of maintaining a car. What do you think of that approach to really incentivize or lower the cost of driving for people who live in these transit deserts. Is that the right approach in the short term, at least? Well, I guess the question, David, is what's the goal? I mean, our goal for 100 years really has been how do you subsidize driving and you make parking free and you you don't let a driver even be aware of the real cost of their decision in, in too many of these communities, people don't have options. You know, for those who say it, it's a it's a privilege and not a right to drive, but in too many of these communities, if you don't have a car, you don't actually have access to getting to work or getting your kids to school or getting to your place of worship. So, you know, when we look at these communities, it, it needs to be a, a yes and. You know, we have to acknowledge the challenges of our failed transportation system and how we can help to address those realities for people who do have to drive now. But the, that can't be the exclusive way that we do business where you say, okay, we're just going to keep expanding this highway. We're going to keep paving over the best parts of our community and nature to create more parking lots. That's what we've been doing for 100 years, and it's failed us. And so especially as we're thinking about a future of transportation, we need to make sure that we have a suite of tools that help to address the challenges of drivers now, but also creates a better path forward for maybe not uh, this immediate generation, but what's coming next, especially as we're facing climate change and no shortage of other challenges as it relates to our broken transportation system. Well, you highlight the context of thinking about the issue of transit deserts in terms of generations. And I have to imagine that's primarily because we're, we're really talking about things that are requiring capital investments, things that take years, if not longer, uh, to build or update. So what is the short-term solution to transit deserts? I mean, is there even a short-term solution? Yes. I mean, look at 
you know, it, it may not be everybody's favorite, but you know, the bus is the superhero of our transportation network. It's been around for a very long time. It moves uh, many people, and especially when you have a dedicated bus route, it moves people um, with speed and with dignity and with safety to where they need to go. Also, that's time you can have back. So when we think about, you know, is the reality that, again, the subway or Long Island Railroad or, or Metro North are going to expand out and have all these new stations and connect more places? Then, you know, we have this immediate tool, which is, you know, bus rapid transit, um, dedicated busways. And, and I would say, you know, we're on the cusp. Or we're sort of already amid this transportation revolution. And, you know, people are looking at not only the future of, of electric vehicles, but, you know, autonomous vehicles and whatever may be coming next. So it's important that we invest in, you know, these immediate solutions, which are moving people and, you know, helping to reframe the opportunity of, of the bus. And, you know, today, these are tools that MTA can roll out and be much more effective in providing, but also, you know, to help to lean into new transportation options that may be coming down the pike. So, you know, these are the ways that I think about it, is how do you create communities that are open to change, but also leaning on tools that already work and, you know, I think the bus gets a bad rap and the bus is an incredibly effective tool of moving people around, not just in the five boroughs, but especially when you look at express buses and how they're moving people around. You know, these are tools that can be moving uh, you know, thousands and thousands of New Yorkers every day, especially if we invest more in them. Looking ahead to the legislative uh, session here in Albany, I'm curious what uh, your organization is going to be prioritizing before uh, state lawmakers uh, skedaddle out of uh, town in early June? Well, there are a number of things on our agenda, David. You know, most immediately is, um, you know, Albany unfortunately continues to to exert uh, too much control over over the streets in New York City, and, and that has deadly consequences. And so one of the pieces of legislation, which we're now in our fourth year of pursuing, is uh, Sammy's Law, which was named after uh, the son of one of the founders of Families for Safe Streets, who really built this this movement and momentum to create safer streets, not only in New York City, but across the nation. Uh, her name is Amy Cohen. Obviously, her son's name is Sammy. And this would quite simply allow New York City the ability to control uh, and set its own speed limits. Right now, you know, legislators in Albany are determining how fast people can go in New York. And as we have a, a crisis of traffic violence here, this is a, a tool that's desperately needed by New York City to um, keep conditions safe here, and, and also for anybody around New York who travels in New York, uh, who travels in New York City, it makes the conditions safer here. Another part of our focus is about uh, reauthorizing and expanding the red light program. Uh, we have a red light cameras on only one percent of all of our intersections. Uh, and we'll be looking not only to reauthorize it, but to expand it. This is, again, another life-saving tool that we have to keep going to Albany to, to beg them to keep on. And we'll be looking, obviously, at a suite of other options that are across the state, whether it's around uh, complete streets or other safety programs. And we're really heartened that the governor has advanced some of these ideas already and also has talked about even the expansion of the speed safety program to other parts of New York, including places like Westchester. So that's very heartening. And those are programs that, of course, will uh, support given the success of those programs here in New York City. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. But we've been speaking with Danny Harris, the executive director of Transportation Alternatives. Danny, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, David. Appreciate your time. 
And for more on Sammy's Law, check out the Capitol Press Room archives, which you can find at capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information.